Guys, no welcome to Night of the Tide Roll the Space. Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the indefinable Matt. Hello there. So, Matt, today we are discussing Wild Blue Yonder. Yeah. We're back. Yeah. Didn't know whether we would be back so quickly, but uh, here we are. No, after you sort of forced the issue last week, I was pretty keen for us to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll i be honest, it was after sitting down and watching the episode, I was just like, crikey, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep a lid on my thoughts on this for no. <laughs> weeks at no. a time. So, uh, yeah, we've definitely got some uh, interesting things to sink, sink our teeth into. Uh, this episode uh, but before we get there matt um we need to address something uh that, that that's come up fairly recently um and uh, i'm sorry to spring this on you but i'm just gonna read listeners uh the the message exchange which matt and i had about 10 minutes ago so i said to matt right boys asleep kettle's going on matt responds pretty normally awesome i'll make a brew but then he follows it up with another message, listeners. I'll be on the rhubarb tea as it's late here. Matt, rhubarb tea. Mm. What? What is going on? That's not a thing, is it? Uh, look, look. Okay, today it, we've had quite a lot of snow in Bucharest today. It was freezing when I got the uh-huh. bus home. Yep. So I stopped off at my local supermarket, which is just on my little apartment complex at the end of the road. Mm-hmm. And yep. I, I was just walking past on the aisle end. That's where they keep the Yorkshire tea. And I'm not shy of Yorkshire tea. Uh-huh. I just walked past. And I just noticed Taylor's of Harrogate sweet rhubarb tea. And I'm oh, big goodness. into So it's rhubarb. not even a weird Romanian thing. No, no, no. It's as Yorkshire as you and I. Um, and <laughs> I just thought, I'm going to be up late. I'm not going to be wanting to drink caffeinated tea at this hour. I'll just get a nice fruit tea mm-hmm. and opted for that. So what What are your thoughts on it then? It's lovely. I love rhubarb. I'd eat rhubarb flavoured anything. <laughs> so rhubarb tea. I mean... I. I'm pretty. I'm pretty much the same. I'm with you on 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 being very firmly in the pro rhubarb camp. I just. I've just never. I've just never looked at some rhubarb and thought, mm, "That looks delicious," but I wish I could drink it. No, it, it it's sweet rhubarb, so it almost tastes like rhubarb and custard sweets. Mm. You know. It, yeah. It, perhaps tea is the wrong word. It's maybe a fruit infusion, and. I appreciate I this so. betrays everything you've ever known about me. I'm very much a white <laughs> tea drinker. You know, splash yeah. of milk, no sugar. But over here, the the tea scene is insane. So by that, I mean they rarely drink white tea. Uh, fruit teas are a yeah. big thing. Yeah. So I just picked some up on my way home. Ah, fair enough. All right. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm glad we unpacked that. Yeah. Definitely worth devoting nearly five minutes of the pod. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Um, um, I, I also that, have how, something how I want to address. Uh, oh, okay. Um, no, go on. This is slightly more serious. I thought this is what you might have addressed. Because in, right. in sad news, David, uh, we actually lost yeah. a dear friend of the podcast this week. Uh, somebody, somebody who's been with us since the very beginning. Uh, you know, someone very close to you and I, as mm. you know, your your friend and mine. We sadly lost Mac this week. Ah, oh, Mac. He, yeah, he, yeah. We we we've known him well. Yeah, he uh, he was with us from episode one. Yeah, and I would say more of a silent participant, really. Yeah. Not you may not have really been aware of his presence or his contributions, but uh, Matt, I'll I'll leave the floor to you because you obviously you were closer to Mac than I. Was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I've lived with Mac for, I think between eight and ten years. Um, the date the date yeah. eludes me, but yeah, sadly last weekend, David. Uh, my MacBook Air that we've recorded and edited every episode <laughs> of this podcast on, yeah, you know, sadly, sadly passed on to the robot heavens. To be fair, though, it's a, it's not a bad innings, is it? No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I mean, I mean, what, it, what is, what is, what is eight years in in laptop years? I think it's the same as dogs. So you times it by seven. <laughs> Um, so what's that? Sixty-four, yeah. fifty-seven-ish. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but he he's survived by his successor, Mac Junior. Um, mm-hmm. th- thankfully, David, I I, I kind of told people it got damaged at work, and then my 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 employers put a little bit of money towards my new laptop. <laughs> Otherwise, I would Shabby. no afford. A new MacBook. Mm. You you talk about landing on your feet with this job, eh? Yeah, yeah. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. Um, but <laughs> meanwhile, my empl- my employer, my employer is basically shutting up shop a week early and asking people not to come in so they don't have to heat the buildings for an extra week. Wow. That's how strapped for cash they are. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. Hard times. Just 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 push push all their heating the heating costs onto onto the employees. Mm. They have to work from home instead. Uh but anyway. I mean I'm not complaining because let's be honest, I work from home eighty percent mm. of the time anyway, so it's have, have you had much, much snow to me. where you are? We had a couple of days of absolutely tip-top snow. We we ticked off um, making a snowman for the year, taking little Zorb sledging, just generally enjoying the the, the crisp white uh, loveliness of it all. And fortunately as well, it rained the next day, so like it cleared away really quickly. We didn't get... You know when you get just... You have two days of lovely snowfall, and then it's just cold and grim, and it just yeah. You have days of 
of slush and black ice and misery. Mm. We we didn't have any of that, so couldn't have asked for better, really, in terms of uh, snowfall. What's it been like over in Romania? Um, sort of cold and grim, but today we had pretty significant snowfall, I would say. Um, a lot of the time at school today, the students just wanted to look out the window. So when I questioned, I was like, does it not snow yeah. here that often? Because they were all so, like, amazed by it. And <laughs> they were just like, no, it snows all the time. We're just mad for snow. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, something something that I, I was curious about with your school, if you don't mind, you, we can cut this if you don't want to talk about it, but, um, like, what percentage of your classes are sort of British versus other English speaking nationalities, um, or even just other nationalities in general? Like, so is it a real mixed bag? Or I would say it is predominantly Romanian, English speaking Romanian. I teach right. a girl from France, a girl from, well, a pair of girls from Bulgaria. I teach a couple of Chinese, um, a couple from other states around there like i say bulgaria i think there's some moldovans um i think there maybe are one or two english children at the school because they're probably children of staff but no i yeah. i don't teach any english any english students that's really interesting so like because it's obviously it's an english speaking school so are these kids just doing all their education in, in in a second language yeah yeah so we follow like english exam specs and it's just the international like curriculum basically so all the exams are written in english that's... answered in english judged in english that's pretty wild yeah like, yeah so all my um, lessons are taught in english yeah. the students are encouraged to speak entirely in english you know, like some of my friends I guess... that I work with are from around the world. They they all speak English. I I guess it's just because it's this assumption. It is basically one of the major international languages at this point. So, if you want to be equipped to, you know, deal with a globalized world, being really comfortable with, you know, speaking and working in English is a benefit to that. Yeah, and but, there, there's almost yeah. a negative stigma attached to further education in Romania. I don't think the standard of university is necessarily the best. So Right, so it's the, more the prestigious aim, to go to an English... Yeah, like the aim yeah. of a lot of my students is get into an international university. Right, yeah. Whether that's UK or states or yeah, yeah, elsewhere. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Well, mm. is is that your one question about Romania for the week? No, it's it's genuinely not. That's just the thought, thought that popped into my head, and I. But whilst we're on it, should we should we do it? Should we do Matt's guide to Romania this Let, week? Let's let's do it. Let's go. Okay, 
so this week, Matt, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you a question sort of inspired by the episode of Doctor Who we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the furthest you have ventured outside of Bucharest since arriving? Oh, I I mean, obviously, I came back to England for a little bit. <laughs> Um, no, I'm not talking about. I'm just sort of like, how far have you? How how far have you gone in Romania? Like sort of. So I spent a weekend into the wild. In, or... I think it's either a large town or a small city. Without checking, I don't know. Mm. Uh, to the north, called Brashov. Um, you you may be aware of it. It is the town in Romania that a lot of like Hollywood films film in because it's got modern areas. It's got oh, like right. rustic old areas. So as you walk around the city on certain like streets, it will have a photograph of that street featured in movies. Um, a lot of people ah, call cool. it the Romanian Hollywood on the side of the mountain. It's got a big Hollywood sign, but it just says Brashov. Uh, ah, cool. Um, so spent a weekend there uh, that is weirdly because I'm I'm fast approaching forty. I'm thirty eight years old. The first time I've ever climbed a mountain was in Brashov. Uh, I felt pretty good about that. Was it you? Oh well, well done. You you've never done any of the uh, ones in the UK. Nah, I can't be asked. Um, <laughs> what else did we do? Oh, I went to the Brashov Bear Sanctuary. Um, that was. Nice. That was that was really nice because a, a lot of them were rescue bears. Like obviously we have a wild bear population here, but there. I mean, not so much now. It's outlawed, but there's a history where people would just have bears in cages, like outside their shop, as an entertainment to entice yeah. people in. Um. So yeah. a lot of them are rescued. Obviously when they stray into the city rather than just shooting them they get rescued and whisked away here there's there's lots of different reasons but the the like getting i think the closest i got obviously there was a giant electric fence between us but i was no further than yeah. like 5 feet away from this bear and it was massive like yeah i i, I can't even begin to think what that must have felt like to be honest yeah and i, I mean it was sunbathing so it, it was obviously like non-aggressive and it was clearly used to people being that close but yeah that yeah. was pretty cool they obviously as well as bears the sanctuary like rescued wolves as well so we got to see some wolves um like it had other rescue animals Do- so it had like almost like a little farmyard where they'd you know, taking care of different animals. So yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, what else? What else did we do whilst we were there? Ate some pretty good food. I had a nice duck confit when I was there. Um, uh, Matt, I did. I didn't ask you about food, did I? No, sorry, sorry. Let's um, not step one, outside the bounds. <laughs> one thing that really annoyed me was because I went with yeah. a group. There was about eight of us, I think. It was three hours on the train. Mm. Um, on the train, yeah. we played Uno the whole way there. I was undefeated. Like, I was just winning back-to-back games of Uno. Uh, to the point where, <laughs> like, some random Romanian challenger came and sat at our table, and I beat him as well. 
Um, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, there's that's where the Romanian Tea Museum is. Awesome. Yeah. Did you did you hit up the the Tea Museum, or is that for another time? Um, I think if I go back, like a lot of people that I went with, just obviously just wanted to go to the pub. So, yeah, you know, the majority of the group dictated there. Also, we went to, uh, it was like, oh, why don't you come to the narrowest street in Romania? David, that was not a narrow street. You could walk two abreast. <laughs> oh, it's got nothing on the shambles then. No, no, no. Yeah, it's maybe marginally narrower than the shamble. Yeah. Well, um, it sounds like a nice place to visit, though. Yeah, it's it's Germanic. So, you know, if you imagine, like, a traditional Christmas village, it was like that. Yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can picture it. Yeah, yeah. Rolling Lovely. hills, it was beautiful. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, shall we move on, Matt? Are you ready for another round of uh, Dockbusters? Yep. Welcome the host of Dockbusters, David. Okay then, let's let's get started, shall we? Um, right. Where do you where do you want to start, Matt? You need to start on the left hand side. Yeah. No. The answer, I think, I know. Oh, it's on. another it's one of low path, but. I don't know. I can't take the bottom path every time. I'm. Do you know what? I'm going to start in the middle with PG. 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 Okay, Matt. Um, so that would be. Here we are. <clears throat> I think this is a fairly easy one for you to start off with. Collective name for an interspecies trio of Victorian adventurers Ooh. who befriended the Doctor. Uh, do you know what? I didn't know that till you've given me that, and that is the Paternoster Gang, I believe? That is correct. Excellent. One down, Matt. Where do you want to go from there? Um, I'm going to move south to AOL. AOL. Please be America okay. online. <laughs> the first story to feature the Slovene. Oh. I've got it. I've got it. I couldn't remember what the A was because I thought the O stood for on. But it is. Is it? No. My brain is saying Aliens of London. Your brain is correct, Matt. 
For some reason, at first, I was like, oh, it must be attack on London or assault on London. Mm. Right. Okay, so uh, you're two down, three to go. I'm going to continue the path I'm on, and I'm going to go for RT. RT. Right, so we're almost making a a sort of southeasterly path towards the bottom corner. So, RT. Director responsible for every finale of the Twelfth Doctor era. Of the Twelfth the Doctor? Hold on. So that is Capaldi. Yeah. It's Rachel Talalay. Bingo. Can I tell you what I thought that question was going to be? What did you think it was going to be? I thought the answer was going to be Russell Tovey. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, who oh, yeah. gets off with Captain Jack? Yeah. Oh, that would have been a good one. Impressive uh, memory there, Matt. Mm. Okay, what's next? Uh, same path. I'm going to go for SFS. SFS. The clue for that, Matt, is the third Doctor's first adventure. Third? Oh, hold on. So it's uh, Spearhead from Space. It is Spearhead from Space. Yes. Great story. Right. Final so, one, then. your choice now. I'll go for... TF or DID? I'll go for DID, please. Okay. wonder if you'll get this. A charity single released in 1985 during the show's first major production hiatus. We've talked about this. We have. Immediately, my brain has gone for Doctor in Distress. You are correct, Matt. Another, oh. another solid victory for you. Oh. Well done. That, well I'm, done. I'm pleased with that. You, I'm pleased with that. Yeah. I think you did, again, you, you found a, a, a way of dodging some of the really tricky questions in here. Well, I didn't actually answer. I think I'm going to have to keep upping the ante. I, I'm not going to tell you which one I think I know the answer to, but I didn't answer mm. the question I knew I wanted, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. There's one in there that you think you're you're you know exactly what it'll be. Yeah, but we'll we'll save that for next time. It's easier for yeah, you to write. I'm, I'm sure to write five questions than a full. Yeah, fresh I, I grid, just isn't top it up with five new questions, and uh, I'll probably re- rearrange the order a bit again. But uh, yeah. Okay. We'll see you two for two, Matt. Yeah. 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 I like this. Impressive I like stuff. this. I, I, I much prefer. I don't know. Now that we've, we've done a lot, and I've got some knowledge. Like I quite like being the quiz rather than the quiz master. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how much you've absorbed over the years. Yeah, like, for someone who who maybe wouldn't go around. Uh, Attack themselves as a Doctor Who fan to be able to just pull Doctor in distress out of your brain. Yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't tell you who. Like the, I don't even know, David, it? if Romania's got like a president or a king or a premier. But you ask me about <laughs> Doctor in distress, and I'm your man. Yeah. For bonus points, can you tell me the name of uh, a a now famous composer who worked on? that oh i think i know this as uh, well particularly yeah it's hold on 
it, hold on, because my brain again is giving me what I know is the wrong answer. Because my brain's just going, it's John Sim, and it's not John Sim. I know that. <laughs> no. But it is. Oh, what is he called? His first name is John, isn't it? Nope. Oh, no. I, I think I can see what your brain has done, though. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. It's Hans Zimmer. That's it. Who am I thinking of? John... Who's the... Well, I don't know. John Sim played the master. No, but what's the famous... Who did the Jaws theme? Uh, oh, uh... that's a good question. Who did... It's not John Williams, is it? That's who I'm John thinking Williams of. John Williams did Star Wars. Did, yeah. did he do Jaws? I know yeah, he did not... Star Wars and all that. Well, yeah, I. It wouldn't surprise me if he did Jaws. I don't actually know. I, you know, I've never seen Jaws. Oh, uh, do you, I, I'm sure I've mentioned Probably this. Should. I went and saw Jaws with a live orchestra. You did, yes. They I played the saying. whole score yeah. of the film, and it was great. I I don't know yeah. if it was just that experience, but it shot Jaws up as like one of my favorite films. Yeah, I mean, it was, it it has a reputation for being the first blockbuster, mm. you know, the first film that that kind of just gave people this. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That was just like entertainment for entertainment's sake, and mm-hmm. got to the point. Where, I mean, because. The the whole thing was people were literally queuing round the block to see it. Mm. Hence, the, that's the deriva- derivation of blockbuster as a term. Um, which it's it's funny because now we see things like the Marvels get referred to as a blockbuster. Do you know what? I, I'm <laughs> going to defend that. I went and yeah. saw the Marvels last weekend. And yeah. it it was like people are going, ah, oh, it's woeful. It's all right. I had a pretty good time with it. It's it's yeah, no, it's a, it's a perfectly fine film. I had I I went to see it. I had a really nice time. Um, I I I think it's it's a victim of circumstance more than any particular failing of of it as a film in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, controversial take potentially, Matt. Mm-hmm. I think I like it better than Guardians 3. Oh, really? I didn't love Guardians 3. I found it a bit grim. Wow. Like, obviously, it was intending to be grim, but I I think I think James Gunn kind of pushed it a bit too far with that, and it, it lost some of what made the first couple such good fun Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah because like obviously the second one was a bit more serious and it earned that and i think if it managed to keep it at that level i would have enjoyed three yeah quite a bit but as it is the the lighter moments in guardians three uh did weren't enough to compensate for this pervading sense of Grimness, obviously Rocket storyline, but also obviously what was going on with Gamora. That was kind of just sad for, for most mm-hmm. of the film, um, and yeah, it just there's 
it's this real melancholy to it that makes it made it just not a fun watch for me right um whereas the marvels mm-hmm. i think the, the 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 biggest criticism you can make of it is that it feels a little bit lightweight and flippant yeah yeah um but you know what if if superhero films can't be lightweight and flippant then what the hell can be yeah yeah i i think so i think yeah i don't know i felt the marvels i got a similar experience to like just when i got really into reading comics and sometimes yeah. you would just pick a comic up and you knew it wasn't going to be the big arc of the year it would just be like here's yeah. just a story with some characters you know and you know it was it was just like yeah. casual I, I don't know i don't need every story to yeah, be like yeah. oh god the universe is in trouble again sometimes it's just like here's yeah. just some bad dude that like wants to do something bad and these guys stop him yeah and that's yeah there's absolutely excuse me there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I think the on- the only thing wrong with it is when you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to tell a story like that mm. um, and expecting to make a return on that. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. That, that film should have cost half of what it did. Yeah. Um, but it, and I, I, I think in the next couple of years we're suddenly going to see a bit of a recalibration in Hollywood. Yeah. As people cotton on to the fact that you can't just keep throwing these huge budgets at films and expect them all to make, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars in returns. That that's. I don't think we're coming back to that point anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. But am I right in thinking next year is the only Marvel project, Deadpool 3? Yes. Yeah. I I think, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. A bit of breathing space. No, I don't at all. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm, I think the MCU might really bounce back from this because as you say you've got Deadpool which to be honest is 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 slightly tangential mm-hmm. I mean obviously this one will officially be part of MCU canon so it'll be interesting to see how they do all that mm-hmm. um, but then obviously they're going to have to pivot in terms of who their big bad is going forwards yeah I don't know if you've been following anything yep. in relation to... Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I was reading reading some coverage of it uh, the other day. I just thought, yeah, like, whatever the outcome, whatever the verdict is, uh, Disney are not going to want to touch him with a barge pole. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you've got that. And, and what what not a lot of people are recognising is the fact that they've still got the X-Men and Fantastic Four just in their back pocket right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot to come. Like, 
One, yeah. I, I want to see what they do with... I, I know it wasn't massively successful, but the Netflix Defender properties. Give me yeah. street-level heroes, MCU style. Like da- Daredevil is like a favorite that. of mine. I've always, I've always really liked Daredevil. So yeah, yeah. Though I, I've, I've heard some worrying things about that the the new Daredevil series they've been working on for Disney Plus. Mm. Yeah, but I, yeah, but as you say, I think a pause isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and I am intrigued to see where things go. That that's what people uh, said about that. our absence over the last few months. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. Well, so you know what? I felt it personally. I, you know, I don't think I'd if we'd just sort of slogged on with Sarah Jane Adventures for yeah several weeks in the run up to this. I don't think I'd be coming to these episodes with quite the joie de vivre. Yeah. I am. Um. Oh, you know what? I was I was listening to a bit of what we did last week, um, and I realised that I, I mentioned I was going to talk about Little Zorb's uh, exposure to Doctor Who, mm. and I have not done that yet. So, uh, would, is that something you would like to discuss, Matt? David, you have the floor. So, um, I thought listeners might be interested in this. This year, with it being an anniversary year, um... I think it was it was increasingly challenging to just completely keep a lid on uh, my enthusiasm for the show and uh, Little Zorbs' intrigue around it. I think things started fairly subtly. Obviously, I'm a subscriber to uh, DWM. Mm-hmm. And he happened to catch me looking at the first part of Liberation of the Daleks, which was the 14th Doctor comic strip that they started last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, base that fills the gap between the events of uh, the Power of the Doctor and the Star Beast. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up reading the first couple of parts of that to him. And he's kept on with that and <laughs> like every month the, the magazine arrives the first thing he wants to do is read the next installment of the comic with me so that built up his interest obviously he's been robot mad for ages so he he loves daleks he loves a mm-hmm. dalek um then of course they dropped classic who on iplayer and the other evening uh, a few weeks ago, I was just like, hey, we've got nothing to do tonight. Do you want to stay up a bit late and watch a Doctor Who story with me? And, mm-hmm. of course, he's not going to turn that down. Uh, so we ended up watching Robot, which is the first Tom Baker story. And, it, of course, features a big, cool robot. Yeah. Um, and I honestly didn't know how it was going to go, but he was transfixed and had a whale of a time watching a four-part early Tom Baker story and all of its sort of spaciousness in its storytelling. Mm -hmm. He was hooked 
for the whole thing. And we just sat there and did two hours straight of Doctor Who in one evening. Wow. Um, which surprised me immensely. Is, so then is this I was your way of telling me I'm sacked from the pod? You've got a new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> no, not just yet. Not just yet. Yeah. Uh, but the last thing that we've watched was uh, the recent colorization of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. I saw. Uh, was it announced that... today that there's a new animated Celestial Toy Maker coming out on DVD? Oh, I didn't. I didn't see that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm certain. That's obviously, there's what renewed I'd interest. Yeah, uh, I'd be excited to see that because that's that's a story that I've not. Because there's only one surviving episode, mm-hmm. and I've not heard all of the audios of missing episodes yet, so that's a story that I've not had the chance to um, partake of. So I'd be quite interested. I'm to certain I saw that online, but you never know; it might have just been some prank yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure eventually the, the BBC aims to animate all the missing stories. Mm-hmm. I think that's very much the intention. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, that that'll be cool. But yeah, so the the I personally have mixed feelings about the the edited mm-hmm. Daleks colorization. I think it was for the most part a um, a good experiment. I I think the editing was I think at times a little too brutal. In that it was just kind of the constant assault of dialogue and things didn't always have the breathing space they needed for you to be able to kind of follow what's happening. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I know that part of it is every 10 seconds that they add on is, you know, a huge amount of work for whoever's doing the well, colonization. Yeah, that, that's right, isn't it? Um, so they went as tight as they possibly could with it for that very reason. Uh, but I hope if they do do another one of those, they maybe give themselves, you know, 10 minutes extra or something to play with just to, just to let things, you know, go at a slightly steadier pace rather than breakneck the whole way through. Yeah. Um, but still again, little Zorbs loved it. And, Excellent. uh, I think that's that's probably going forwards for the next couple of years going to be the plan that we occasionally cherry pick a classic story. I kind of want to hold off on you who until he's old enough to be able to watch it all. Yeah, I mean it's you know a bit I mean? more accessible, isn't it? So when yeah, he's ready for like, that, you can do the whole lot. Yeah, and and I think the other thing as well, you who rewards you know doing doing the full run mm-hmm. in to a much greater extent like it's quite easy to cherry pick with classic who i don't think it, you know you can you can skip episodes here and there in you who but i think you're missing out to a greater extent yeah by taking that approach and i think it would be a shame if the first time he saw an episode like um I don't know, trying to think what you even would sort of cherry pick from, you know, say a robot of Sherwood or something. I probably could put that one on today and he'd be absolutely fine with it. Yeah. But I think it would be it would be a shame for him to not see that 
in the context of Peter Capaldi's first series Mm -hmm. and having the context for his Doctor coming off the back of the 11th Doctor and stuff. So, like, yeah, I'm a bit more precious about it in that way. Mm. It's funny. Um, At work this week, um, I can't remember if I told you, but I've, I've finally reached the final evolutionary stage of being a teacher because I bought myself a tweed oh, yeah. blazer, and <laughs> uh, I, I can send yeah. you a picture. You'll enjoy it. But on one of the lapels, <laughs> I've got a little TARDIS badge. Ah, oh, lovely. And, um, one of the ladies at work was like, oh, I like Doctor Who, but I, I stopped watching when Peter Capaldi took over because it just wasn't very good. And I was like, sit down. And let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I was just like, what do you mean? You haven't seen Bill? And she said, no, I don't know who he is. And I was like, I was like, get out. Just <laughs> shut up. But yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunately, it's a really, really common thing. I think those first couple of Capaldi episodes put a lot of people off. Mm. I, I, it's a, it's a thing I've heard before with like you know, um, people on my my partner's side of the family and stuff like that. It's just unfortunately that was kind of I think the 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 the, the latter part of Matt Smith's run and into the the first part of Capaldi's run is kind of the point at which Doctor Who became something that the fans tuned in for and everybody else started to ignore a bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's necessarily anyone's fault mm. to a large extent, but I I think we're about to see a massive reversal of that. Like obviously the BBC are going all in on promoting this new era mm. And right. uh, we've certainly got like a wealth of back behind the scenes material again. And, and also I think when shooting at finally takes the reins, I think it's going to be like, like an asteroid collision. Mm. I think he is just gonna suddenly be one of the most famous men in Britain. Mm. Am I right in seeing it? In, in exactly... Am I right in thinking we'll see him Sorry. as the Doctor this weekend? I would presume that there's going to be a regeneration scene, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. And you know, we'll 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 get to it in a second. Like I'm not I'm not disliking having David Tennant back per se. Mm-hmm. But I cannot wait to see what Shooting Atwa does with this character. Yeah, yeah, so excited. Anyway, we've we've probably done enough preamble. Shall we get stuck into Wild Blue Yonder? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Before we do, though, I forgot to ask: How would you All rate right. this episode? Good episode, bad episode. Oh. Good episode, some good, some bad bits. Bad episode, some good bits great episode i like no go on sorry i was gonna say um 
there is definitely one bit I can refer to as a bad bit, mm-hmm. uh, but I can very easily pretty much just trim that from my brain. And when I think about the, the episode as a whole, I think it's one of RTD's best. Uh, what about you, Matt? I'm glad you said that. I loved it. I thought it was great. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, all, all, genuinely, almost no complaints. Yeah. Um. So, but uh, well, well, at least we'll get the complaints out early, and uh, so, so let's get let's get stuck into it. Okay. So this is Wild Blue Yonder. It is the 60th anniversary special number two from the 2nd of December 2023. It is written by RTD and directed by Tom Kingsley. We open in England in 1666, where we see Isaac Newton. Uh, He's on his sort of morning walk. Yeah. Uh, So, do we even need to address the quote-unquote controversy around the casting of Isaac Newton? I think all we really need to say is, like, RTD is clearly, obviously trolling. And I I couldn't give a monkey. Yeah. It, it it amuses me. That's all. Yeah. 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 Um. So whilst he's out on his walk, the Tardish crashes into a tree. Uh, Donna and yep. the Doctor appear, and they deduce this is Sir Isaac Newton, who is surprised that that's uh-huh. how they've referred to him. Okay. Uh, they make a joke saying. You know, he can appreciate the gravity of the situation. Then as they disappear, they, uh, uh, sorry, he says, what was that word they used? Was it like tavity, cavity? And he says mavity. And we'll come back to that. Yeah. We will, sadly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So complaint out of the way. As a cold open, this was incredibly dumb, and I didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. After the sort of tension and drama <laughs> of last week, you know. It's... Uh, honestly, watching that cold open, and as the, the titles were playing, because, like, you know, I was kind of, like, I was a little lukewarm on the Star Beast, and, like, some elements, and wasn't so keen on others, and then I was hit with this opening, and I was just like, Oh my god! Has RCD like completely lost his mojo? Mm. Like, because he was doing a comic adaptation last week, and I, as far as I was concerned, it was a bit of a rehash of of a lot of his worst tropes as well. And I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Is this what we're going to be getting? Is this like the level that we're going to be getting throughout the new era? Mm. Uh, thankfully, that everything after the credits was i feel almost very intentionally just you know done in order to prove me wrong because yeah from this point on i'm gonna have nothing but good things to say i think yeah yeah so then we kind of get back into the main beat of the story where the tardis crashes into a spaceship 
Uh, yeah. Fire pours out of the door and the cloister bell sounds. The TARDIS is in a bad, bad way, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Poor old TARDIS. Yeah. Brand new Brand interior new. as well. Brand new. Oh, okay. So the Doctor uses the sonic screwdriver to fix the TARDIS. Uh, and as it landed, the TARDIS played the song Wild Blue Yonder. Yeah. Uh, a song which Donna sang in the choir when she was younger. Uh, yeah. She mentions that Wilf was never comfortable with the um, them singing that because whilst it's a happy song, its lyrics are all about war. Yeah. So the Doctor plugs the sonic screwdriver into the TARDIS and they just go for a little wander to see where they are as the TARDIS repairs itself. Yeah. Yeah. And... Seems reasonable. Yeah, as you would. You've got a few minutes to kill. And they're just in a huge, huge, huge spaceship. It's like one yeah. single mile-long corridor. So what did you think of the look of that spaceship? Um, I liked its design. I didn't yeah. necessarily like the Doctor and Donna clearly walking around a green screen within that design. Yeah, because it, it I would say I think it is reasonably easy to tell that it's not a physical set. Yeah, I think I saw the only parts that were actually real were like the ladder up the wall that the Doctor climbs and it slides about. Yeah, there were a few bits and bobs that were that were real, but for for the most part that whole corridor it it, it was one hundred percent green screen cgi mm. um and i do think it's an, it's an extraordinary effort and it's and also like i guess because you, you're watching on disney plus you're not getting uh you're not getting doctor who unleashed mm -hmm. which is the new incarnation of doctor who confidential basically yeah the yeah behind the scenes show um and uh yeah it, it is kind of extraordinary to see the uh the scale that, uh, of that green screen that they're working with and the way they've got it is they've essentially when they when they're looking at it on the monitors they can impose a sort of rough draft version of the environment okay that they're, they're designing for it onto it so the director isn't working they're not just having to look at the green screen and imagine it later. They can see, they can. It helps with their shot selection and stuff that they can see approximately. Obviously, it's not the polished version, but they've got a sense of the scale and and everything, which I thought was really interesting and clever. Uh, the other thing that really struck me watching with this story in particular was the sheer number of people working at Bad Wolf Studios. Mm -hmm. It. It is an army they've got there. It is a huge operation. Um, kind of extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, for, I, I'm, I've genuinely, I've almost been enjoying Unleashed uh, as much as the new episodes themselves. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I wish we had something equivalent of that for uh, the Capaldi and uh, Whisker eras, but uh, hey ho. <laughs> yeah. So they notice something in the distance. So again, they go for a little walk to see what it is. And we kind of get a shot where it hints quite strongly they're being watched. Something is in like a great yeah. watching them. And yes. as yeah. they head off, there's the sound of the TARDIS lifting off. Uh, Donna yeah. says, you know, it's fine. We can summon it again with the sonic screwdriver. However, that was in the keyhole. And I really, yeah. really like this bit where they have a little argument and it ends with the doctor going, oh, you spilt the coffee and then immediately halting himself and just going, no, 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 no. Now's not the time for yeah. that argument. You know, they've been mm -hmm. apart for so long. They've come back together. They're better <coughs> than this argument. I, yeah, I'm really enjoying the subtle differences between the 10th and 14th Doctors. Mm -hmm. And I think all that Tennant is really doing is bringing his own age to the performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there is, whereas with the 10th Doctor, there was this, he was, he was full of this like, righteous anger and a little bit of self-pity and you know all of that sort of stuff but the 14th doctor just seems tired yeah like yeah. tired and confused and like still very much the doctor and seemingly very much an iteration an echo of the 10th doctor but, yeah, you can, he really is managing to convey that sense that everything that has happened between the end of time and the power of the Doctor, like, he's carrying the weight of that with him. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I am really I think impressed with what David Tennant's doing with this. When we get to the end of the episode, I think there's a part that really echoes that sentiment. Okay. Yeah. So Donna is panicking. Obviously, she's away from her family. And the doctor says, don't worry, I will get you home. Uh, he says that yeah. he believes the TARDIS has utilized what's called the hostile action displacement system, which is when in a state of repair, or not necessarily just when in repair, but the doctor mm. has switched it off. It's part of the TARDIS, which intentionally avoids danger so for 10 points matt can you tell me the last time we saw the hads in operation in uh doctor who uh i honestly can't what is it called the doctor's wife where the tardis is a woman nope it's uh cold war okay okay it it uh, it disappears off the submarine, which is why they can't then just be like, okay, let's just everybody get on, the, get yeah. out of this submarine, shall we, and leave leave the Ice Warrior to it. Um, yeah, so that was that was the last time it's used. 
That's interesting. As far as I can remember. I might be wrong about that, but that's certainly the last one I can remember. No, because it's the sort of thing I'm certain, you know, it makes sense it exists. I just didn't know whether we'd seen it before. Yeah, we definitely have. It's also, it, it, it was, I think, Trout Nearer is when it first happened. Oh, wow. So it is, it's a deep cut thing, but uh, it, it's it's almost very blatantly only ever used when uh, you want to tell a story where the only sane, a situation where the only sane response would be like, ah, oh, screw this, let's just get back in the TARDIS and get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously that means they've landed in hostile action. We get a discussion about Mrs. Bean, who was the choir leader that taught Donna how to sing, and we hear the word Fenslaw. At yeah. the sound of that, things begin moving about on the ship. Okay. And just from nowhere, the doctor just summons a car. I think they like they turn a corner. I think they're meant to be in a different corridor at that point. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but he just stamps on the floor and a car but, comes because it all looks. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's important. It's not necessarily important for the plot, but it speeds literally speeds things up. Yes, it does. Yeah. So. From there, they approach the robot, which takes a step forward. Um, It doesn't do a great deal else. Uh, So they continue forward to the bridge of the ship, where the Doctor says, if I can translate these numbers 1 to 10, I can begin to sort of process this computer system. We don't have the translation matrix. I don't recognise this language. I'll be able to work it out. And they learn that an airlock on the ship opened and closed three years ago. What they don't know is why. Uh, They use a drone... Go on, sorry. I was going to say, that's that's a lovely little uh, clue, isn't it? Mm. Just... just, Because this... One of the things that I love about this episode is the pacing of it and how it delivers the information and, and, and when. And the fact that it just gives you that one little nugget and just lets you roll that around in your brain at the same time as the characters are. Thinking about, is there any possible good version of that sequence of events? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Um. Yeah, it, it's it's great writing. Yeah. Um. Donna notices there's no stars outside when they look at quote unquote space, and the doctor yeah. works out it's because the ship has fallen through a wormhole and they're at the edge of the universe, so far away that light hasn't reached this part of the universe. That's why there's no stars. Um, yeah, he specifically says it's the furthest we've ever been. Like, I mean, definitely not true. <laughs> yeah. Like, how many times has the Doctor been to the edge of the universe or 
in the space between universes or yeah the entirety of flux that took place sort of exactly. nowhere yet everywhere okay certainly parts of it did yeah but it's it, it, it doesn't matter it's for the purposes of this story it it adds the right level of ominousness to proceedings yeah yeah so uh we hear a metal clang, and this time we hear the word Collis as the robot takes a step. And Yeah. Now, I think this was the exact point, because we'd had Fenslaw and Collis, I think maybe one more previously. Um, um, I can't remember. At this point, do you know what I thought it was? And I don't know whether this was RTD's intention or not. I thought it was uh, surnames of dead crew members okay i thought it was like reciting a list of the dead or, or like cycling through the sort of the the roll call of crew from this ship because they you know they, they 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 sound a bit like surnames don't they mm. yeah i think that's intentional though isn't it the the fact that we know they're important but we just don't know what they are that's like a theme yeah. throughout isn't it this unknowing yeah yeah so that was my sort of in- internal working theory at that point yeah right um so the doctor begins fiddling with circuits now this is the point where the sort of the key ideas of the episode are introduced and watching yeah. it a second time this evening like like it's obvious. Like the first time I watched it, it it's <laughs> jumping backwards and forwards from two scenes where the two characters are in totally different places. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just stupid. But it, at first, does... I was like, "No, no, what what's going on?" And then watching it again, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." No, I I distinctly remember thinking. I, I I cottoned on before the characters do in the story, but it was probably only after they'd bounced between the two locations a couple of times. You know, I was only, you know, what, 20 seconds ahead of the reveal, if that makes sense. You know, rather than from the first moment just being like, ah, right, okay, it's, there's duplicates, here we go. Um <laughs> I do also want to mention uh, in this section, this is where um, we we get some of that class, classic tenant licking a thing just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets lampshaded. It's like, like, you know, he pretends that he's having a like horrible reaction, um, but he's just sort of having her on. Have you seen the Doctor Who poop edit of that? No, I haven't. Well, they've taken that moment and it, it and just played dramatic music over it and started the regeneration <laughs> visuals. <laughs> so it looks like it just it just immediately finished him off. Uh, it's it's brilliantly done. It's okay. worth I'll probably up. check that off. Yeah, yeah. An, I mean, there's no more. There's nothing more to it than that. But it, it, when I saw that one, it really made me. Laugh. Yeah. Um, um yeah. yeah so um he's the doctor's trying to power up the ship 
and he goes to the spindle, okay? There's a bit where he's fiddling with the circuits, as we've said, and Donna notices it's cold as the Doctor re-enters the room. Uh, there's yeah. a nice little chat about how long will her family wait, but they always do this. Donna keeps saying, oh, I've got to get back. Rose will be waiting for me. You've got a literal time machine. Why don't you just land three seconds after you left? Well, to be fair, they don't have a literal time machine at the moment. No, but like, you know, when when it, when it she gets it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The Doctor is still doing the pivot and it's cold as Donna enters. So I, I just didn't pick up on that where they're just going, is it cold? I was just like, oh, maybe the ship airlock's open again. I don't know. Uh, the Doctor yeah. tells Donna, my arm is too long. And then the Donna tells, sorry, Donna then tells the Doctor, my arms are too long. So I was just like, oh, that's a weird yeah. little conversation point. And what, <laughs> what's even weirder is their big armed duplicates. Yeah. So, what did you think of... I think it's Donna first, you see? Yeah. Isn't it? She's got, like, that one long arm. Yeah. Um. And the way it just sort of hose into view. I love the direction of it. It, it reminded me it, of the, uh... the episode of The Mighty Boosh where they do the boxing and there's that guy with really long arms. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean... It's it's worth pointing out that they are practical. They did they did make big arms for them. Oh really? Yeah, for those for those bits. Not all, obviously not all, not all of it is practical. Yeah, but um, there's yeah like uh, with tenants ones uh like he he obviously slotted his arm in and then there was like a a lever he could pull to bend the fingers. Oh, so it's okay. like you know, sort of pu uh, puppetry kind of thing. That's pretty cool. Um. Yeah. I wonder where those props are now. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, but, we've got these yeah. replicants. Eventually, we're told they're called the Not Things. Um, and what they're doing is mimicking the Doctor and Donna, but struggling to finalise the arms. Then they say, yeah. you know, once we've got the arms, it's the jaw that we struggle with, and the jaw falls to the floor. Yeah. Then we get how yeah. many knees... And we see Donna's got like weird, like bird legs. Uh, yeah, she's got like an e extra knee, so it's all wonky. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I kind of wonder, like, is this too much in terms of like body horror? Like, can you get away with this at tea time on a Saturday? Yeah. I mean, obviously they are, but I'm like, wow, it. it I, I was, honestly, Matt, uh, for, uh, this uh, this scene, I am um, basically, I was feeling, genuinely gleeful, like it was it was horrible and like it it was making me very tense and everything, but also I had this layer of just like I can't quite believe we're doing this. <laughs> I did not expect RTD to go. So weird right off the back of what felt like a very safe first episode for this miniseries. Yeah. 
Yeah. But he, he, the pendulum has fully, fully swung, swung the other way at this point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, as the Doctor and Donna run away, the duplicates begin to grow. Okay? Because yeah. uh, they have no concept of shape or size. We get big hands swatting at the car as the Doctor and Donna escape. Yeah. But what's important is they're not just physical replicants. They have the memory of the Doctor and Donna. Yeah. Um, I, is this the point where they get stuck? Yes. They all sort of like almost yeah. merge together. And, and honestly, that shot, it was like something out of a Syriac video. Do you know Syriac? Mm. Uh, the British animator does this sort of weird, absurd animation set to music of like, you know, cows morphing and splintering into <laughs> yeah. new cows and and things like that. It had that sort of vibe to it. Like, it wasn't the world's most convincing CGI, but I think that was in its favour, if anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it had. I was just. It had the opportunity to be like quite silly, and I think it just skirts the right edge yeah. there. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think there is an undercurrent of silliness to it, but it's all mingled in with the the horror. Like, um, I mean, I I come back to this all the time on the podcast, but for me, there are you know four key things key notes that i want a good doctor who episode to hit and when i want it to hit i don't want it to be like just you know a subtle soup song of this or that but i want it to kind of hit all of these notes as hard as it can which is funny exciting scary sad Mm -hmm. and this episode absolutely nails it often doing more than one at once and like in that moment it is funny and scary in equal measure um, which is very hard to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Doctor and Donna escape by climbing a ladder. We hear the word break, uh, and the walls shift, and they become separated. Uh, yeah. We then, the Doctor is reciting Fenslaw, Collis, Brait, and when the Doctor and Donna reunite, there's two Doctors and two Donners. Yeah. So they begin testing each other, quizzing one another. Mm. And Donna discusses the fact that when, at the end of the last episode, they bonded together again as the Doctor Donna, she was able to see everything that had happened to the Doctor whilst, you know, in the last 15 years. Yeah. Then she just melts into a puddle because it's not Donna. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the moment where, like, RTD had said in interviews, right, that he wasn't just going to ignore everything that Chibnall had done Mm -hmm. in his run. I didn't think that meant that he was going to just straight up like head on you know reference the flux yeah and you know just 
fully acknowledged that yeah, I, I thought it was going to be more a case of like, yeah, if it comes up, we'll. But I, it almost like he was like he he made a point of t- at the earliest opportunity getting it in there. Yeah. Um, which, as someone who who broadly liked what Chibnall did during his run, I'm I'm very happy with that. <laughs> it was not expected, and uh, it's it's a, also just as well. I just want to acknowledge in this episode. I I was so gleeful when I realised that it was for the most part going to be a two-hander. That we were just getting Tennant and Tate mm. uh, playing off each other, playing both good, you know, the proper versions of their characters and the sort of weird duplicates and and which is brilliant. You've got you've got these these performers back for th- just three episodes. You want to make the most of it, that opportunity, and it was so nice. I think to to kind of after all of the hullabaloo of the first episode, to just pair it right back. And be like, okay, great. Let's just have Tennant and Tate playing off each other for a, pretty much a whole episode. I mean, the the parallels are going to be made with the minimal cast, but this is better than Midnight, isn't it? Um. <clears throat> I would need to watch it more times before agreeing with that necessarily. Uh, I certainly think it, it shares a lot of DNA with Midnight and it is... I, I wouldn't say it is in any way inferior to it. Um, I think I think one of the interesting things is you can see bits and bobs of all kinds of previous stories in it you know there's a little bit of heaven sent in there there's a little bit of uh the rebel flesh in there even uh-huh. weirdly yeah um there's yeah you could you could point to all sorts of um forebears uh within doctor who and you know in classic stuff as well no doubt but um i think ultimately in some ways, I think that that shows us where we are at with Doctor Who at this point is I think it is an unrealistic expectation to put on it that we that we get stuff that we've never seen before all the time. Yeah, I think we are at the phase where it's more about matter of uh, refining and trying to find interesting new spins on what we've already seen. Mm. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I I will be very pleasantly surprised if we get episodes in in like Shooting Atmos first series where it's just like, oh my god, I've never seen a story like that in Doctor Who before. That would be lovely. Mm. Yeah, it's not impossible, but um, I think it is increasingly hard to do at this point because you know it's been around for sixty years. You can't yeah. you can't blame it for. For and so yeah, I think you could say that the that in in some ways this episode feels like a little bit of a greatest hits, a little bit of a remix kind of thing. But who cares when it's done this well? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think. I mean, if we exclude the pre-credit scene, like everything it does, it Which does we definitely well. Should because it was shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. The CGI is not great, but that's not. A misstep, really, is it? No, and, and as I say, I think it possibly even 
is an advantage. I I I liked the element of absurdity that some of the CGI lent to proceedings. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry, I, right. I've probably completely derailed you. I don't know where you are in, in, in the episode at this point. So, the real Doctor goes a little bit apeshit. But then we hear the word yeah. Gilburn, which reunites all four characters again. The Doctor's able to yeah. work out which is his Donna by saying, well, Donna thinks she's stupid, but also thinks she's great. And the not-things can't comprehend something being two things at once. So, the Doctor... Yeah. Um, tricks them basically by saying superstitions can also be truths and he says it's bad luck to cross a line of salt without counting every grain which distracts them and buys right, the yes. doctor and Donna yeah. some thinking time mm. um, if the not things fully become the doctor and Donna then the TARDIS won't register them as a threat they can board the TARDIS and get out of here. Okay? Yeah. So, whilst we have this revelation, the ship shifts again, and the Doctor and Donna <coughs> escape to a room where they're divided from the not-things by a barrier. Again, this makes yeah. them have a little bit of thinking time where they work out that fear makes them easier to copy. That's why they're being tormented by the not-things. If they slow down, if they clear their minds, they can't be read, so the copying process yeah. slows down. Yeah. Okay. Now, in amongst all this, the Doctor opens like the screens that are hiding the window, and we see an astronaut outside. Mm -hmm. And the whilst the astronaut's outside, the not-things don't comprehend why they don't understand what this astronaut did because it was able to like reach a moment of zen and clarity and you know clear mindfulness which they weren't able to read uh yes we find out that the captain had killed herself to prevent the not things from copying her memory so whilst this captain had undertaken her plan. The next step was suicide, which meant that the not things couldn't be aware of their plan. So there's like almost like a trap. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we hear Ratico, which is the next big announcement from the ship. And we deduce that the captain set something in motion to prevent the not-things reaching the universe, which was the slow self-destruct of the ship. The robot that has been walking down the corridor is taking three years to reach a point where it can press the self-destruct button and blow the ship up. Yeah. Okay. I I mean, brilliant. Um, I would, I would go so far as to say almost Moffat-esque as a solution mm -hmm. to this mystery. Um, and also, on a personal note, I was delighted that we had a cute robot introduced at the start of the story, and at the end of it, 
it's just a good little boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not it's not evil. It's not like, you know, the emoji bots from Smile. Yeah. Or um uh, I'm trying to think what some other examples. Like pretty much any time you introduce a cute robot in Doctor Who, it's gonna turn out to be evil later. Yeah. In some way. Or at least used for evil. Um or amoral. But no, this was just a nice little robot that looked all friendly and was just doing its job. Yeah. Um, Yeah. At this point, the not-things, because of this revelation and the Doctor's brains going in overdrive, the not-things have been able to become as clever as the Doctor and Donna now. Uh, The Doctor works out that now that they're aware of this plan, the not things have bought time where they might be able to stop it because it's a slow countdown. So the doctor realizes mm-hmm. his plan is to now speed up the countdown and we get a little race to the bomb. Uh, yeah. The Donners have a fight as the TARDIS arrives because if the doctor detonates, not the doctor, sorry, if the robot detonates, that means the threat is eliminated and it's safe for the TARDIS to reappear. Okay. Yeah. So the Doctor boards the TARDIS and goes to collect Donna and says, what's funny about Mrs. Bean? This means that, you know, a correct answer will be the correct Donna. One Donna says, well, it's a, what is it? Like a, a vegetable's name attributed to a lady. The other Donna says, well, it's just funny. So the Doctor takes the one that says it's just funny, which is the wrong... uh, Is that the one he takes? I can't remember. He takes the wrong... Yes, yeah. He takes the wrong Donna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Leaving the correct Donna behind as the fire from the detonation approaches, um... The Doctor realises, actually, the Donna he's picked has an arm that's 0.06 millimetres too long. So he presses a button, (laughs) excuse me, which tilts the walkway, forcing the fake Donna out of the TARDIS. He goes and scoops up the real Donna, and they escape. Yeah. The Doctor says that when he invoked superstition at the edge of the galaxy with all that salt it gave him a bad feeling but it soon passes um yeah he asks donna so, uh, go on. can i can i ask did with, with that whole section where where you know donna looked like she might have been about to be a goner yeah did you was there even a tiny part of your brain that thought maybe RTD's going to do it? No, no. I think in a three-episode no. run in which Donna died in episode one and came back alive, you can't then kill Donna in episode two. No, and especially when, you know, you've just given her all her memories back and sort of fixed one of the most controversial companion departures of all time yeah to then immediately kill her off again would have been a, a bit a bit of a bridge too far i think but but having said that despite the rational part of me knowing all of that i still kind of had my heart in my mouth for half a second 
it was and i think that was down to the direction and you know i'm i don't always praise murray gold gold's music i think his score for this episode was impeccable mm. i think he did a bang up job on 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 bringing the tension when it was needed bringing the um the sense of action and excitement when it was needed uh yeah so it despite all that it that still kind of worked for me even though it was an, an obvious fake out mm-hmm. i think this next bit might be my favorite part of the episode yeah and if it's not it's a close run second so the doctor yeah. asks donna whether you know what the not thing said was true that she can remember everything and she says no but when she says well why what happened the the delivery when at first the doctor says well not much but then when she says no really the way tenant delivers the line a lot is a gut punch isn't it <laughs> you know yeah he's seen some the, things ha- yeah how he manages to conjure up as i say the weight of everything we've seen across three preceding incarnations mm. and just put it all into two words flipping it that's yeah, some good acting isn't it yeah yeah uh yeah so she says are you gonna be okay and he says i will be in a million years now if that's not my favorite part of the episode this is david <sighs> my goodness me yeah okay so the doctor goes, oh, we're going back to your family. Oh, no, we're a couple of days late. You open the door, yeah. and there he is. Will's back. Will. Now, yeah. Now it. yes, he says hello to Donna and gives her a cuddle, and we get, like, a celebration. Mm. When he sees the doctor, and... He puts his hand over his mouth in exactly the same way he does at the end of time. Uh, I was was close to shedding a tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just just had the biggest flipping grin on my face. Because, honestly, I knew, I knew the behind the scenes stuff and, you know, fans talking and all that, he'd shot some stuff for this run of specials, mm. it was not clear whether he'd shot enough that they were going to be able to use any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he didn't show up in the first episode, I was like, oh, right, well, it must be the last one then. Yeah. I I was not expecting uh, Krebins to show up in this episode i I thought that Um, was going to be the happy ending resolution of episode three we'll see cribbins yeah yeah. so um full disclosure they did say on on unleashed uh they had a a a really lovely whole section dedicated to bernard cribbins and uh rtd said in that they had more planned for him for third episode mm-hmm. he even came along to a read through for it yeah um but sadly he you know his health declined uh he wasn't able to shoot it and he passed away not long after yeah i'd read um, that online and 
so basically, this is it in terms of uh, what what we're getting from from Wilf mm. and Cribbins. Um, you know, so but my word off the back of what's already been a, an episode which far surpassed my expectations. What a cherry on top that scene is. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Um, and then do you do you want to give us the closing moments? Yeah. Matt? So when he's back, uh, Wilf says, "Oh, I knew the Doctor would come save us." And the Doctor goes, "Well, what do you mean, save you from what?" There's a huge explosion, some rioting, and the world's coming to an end. Yeah. See you next so, week for episode um, three, I guess. Yeah, I think. I I I don't know. I don't want to predict too much with with uh, the third one. I think it's going to be a classic RTD finale of way too much shit happening. <laughs> it, it's going to be balls to the wall, isn't it? It it is. It is. And you know what? He's um. This, after this one, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow it. Whatever happens, I'm along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to it. Um, so hopefully it won't be too long before we get a chance to sit down and talk about it again. Not going to guarantee listeners that it, we will be able to get it out for next week. It really we 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 just having to play it by ear probably for the rest of this year. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was great talking about this one with you, Matt. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time with it as yeah. well. I cannot wait for um, the giggle. Still, think it's a dumb name for for an episode. Yeah. But very excited to see it. So, um, do join us, dear listener, whenever we get around to talking about that. But until then, as always, thanks ever so much for listening. And until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.